Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have, a, we have a really exciting guest. I mean, he is a legend. I mean, he's done it so many times that I've even lost track on how many companies he's built, scaled, taken public, you name it. I know that uh, he wants to leave you all with a lot of lessons, with a lot of good nuggets, you know, there to learn and to inspire you all on your own journey. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Naveen Jane. Welcome to the show. Well, Alejandro, what a pleasure and honor to be with you. I've been just looking forward to this for a long time. So, so let us let let us all get to know you just a tiny bit. You know, give us a little of a, of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up in New Delhi? You know, I'm going to focus more not on me because I am just so unimportant in a human journey. I want to focus more on just my background is simple. I am a, an accidental entrepreneur who just wanted to do great things for myself and my family. And at this decade of my life, I am fully focused on helping others actually live their dreams, giving them the lessons I have learned over the last 63 years on what actually one has to do to be successful in life what success really is how do you you know create your own legacy and what do you want your legacy to be so then let's let's talk about that yeah, let's talk about that so obviously you know like one of the things that that is happening now that um, that you've definitely learned a lot i mean when you created your first company you were able because right now i mean it's crazy the environment that we're in right so you got all these banks that are defaulting, you know, we got the ups and downs of what's happening with the market. And, and, you know, people are really getting impacted by this, you know, and all these, all these entrepreneurs that are listening to us, you know, are really going to experience, you know, this, this craziness, this uncertainty. So you really have been exposed to the ups and downs. I mean, you were exposed to the dot-com bust. You were exposed to the 08 uh, financial crisis. So I guess, you know, during those upswings, because, I mean, Infospace, for example, you took it public, you know, during the dot-com bubble in no time, just in a couple of years with a bunch of colleagues from Microsoft. But I guess, what did you learn and what could you share with the audience about handling the storm uh, and, and really, you know, dealing with the upswings of, uh, of, of, of a downturn, like perhaps the one that we're experiencing now? Well, first of all, I want everyone to know that, some of the best companies are started during recession. Some of the most successful companies were started when things were looking really, really bad. And tell you, this is the best time to start a company. The best time to start a company is not when there is a absolute euphoria of everyone investing in everything, because what happens is when there is so much of free money out there, the people are building companies that have no business model. They're just using the venture money to give away the product. It's very difficult to build a company where your competitors are giving away their product because they have all this venture money. The best time to really build a company when the markets are tough because now you're actually building a company that has a business model, a company that is providing a tremendous value to a customer. And you know, in life, life of an entrepreneur is when they are alive. How do you know you're alive? Is because you have a heartbeat. 
What does a heartbeat look like? It goes up and down and up and down. And when it's smooth, you're dead. So if you're looking for a life that's a smooth life, as an entrepreneur, you're looking for a life of a dead person. When you are seeing these ups and downs in your life, you know you are alive. When you are down, all you have to do is hunker down and know the next beat is going to be up. And when you're on top of that beat, never become too arrogant because you know the winter is coming and winter shall come, right? And that's the lesson is that always focus on what is it that you're doing that's going to improve people's life. And as we go along, I can tell you that there is a framework that I have created for myself, and I want to share that with everyone. And then I'm going to show you how I, how I apply that framework to every company I started, including my most recent company that I started seven years ago. And I'm going to show you the framework, and then I'm going to apply the framework so you have the context of how to apply the framework. Right? And and just so that the uh, just so that the folks that are listening, you know, really understand this. Because obviously, I mean, this framework comes with with doing a lot and building a lot of companies. How many companies have you built? Well, this is my seventh venture and knock on uh, plastic. Every single one of them have been wildly successful, right? And it's not because I am smart. It's not that somehow I am God's gift to earth. I am a normal person. It's just that I have a framework that I use, and in that, anyone can use that, by the way, and that allows you to stay focused on what matters, right? So let me just get right to it. Go for it. Every time I start a company, I ask myself three questions. Why this? Why now? Why me? The first question is why this? Why this is ask yourself. God forbid I am actually successful in solving the problem that I set out to solve. Would it help a billion people live a better life? And now why do I say that? Is It's not because I am somehow philanthropic and I want to help a billion people live a better life. Yes, we all want to do good in the world. But it is really simple is anytime you can build any product, any service, that improves a 1 billion people's life, you can create a $100 billion company. But you don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to create a $100 billion company. What do I do? Making money is simply a byproduct of doing things that improve other people's life. Let me repeat again. Making money is simply a byproduct of doing things that improve other people's life. And the reason is, when you're building something that they want, they become your lifelong loyal customers. And that is how you create a great sustainable company, right? Does it make sense so to you? I want, uh, I, it does, but I want to double click on that. So as you're thinking about creating you know, that $100 billion business and you're thinking about impacting all these people's lives, what does, what does it look like when you are validating some of those ideas? Because, I mean, some of them may have legs and some of them may not. So what does that process look like? Yeah. So again, start with not, I have this solution. What do I do? You start with a problem. Here is a problem I'm trying to solve. And is my solution leading me towards solving that problem or not? So remember, a lot of the engineers, a lot of the entrepreneurs says, I have chat GPT. What do I do with that? What can I do with that? Right? That's not the question. The question you should say is, hey, 
I have this problem that billion people have in this world. Can I come up with a solution? Whether it happens to be blockchain or it doesn't have a blockchain, whether it is ChatGPT or doesn't have ChatGPT, you don't start with the technology. You use the technology to create a solution. And many times, I, you know, I hear entrepreneurs. I'm trying to build a company that's a blockchain crypto ChatGPT company. And what is the uh, what's the problem you're trying to solve? I'm trying to figure out what to do. It's like I'm sorry, that's a wrong way to get started. <laughs> You can't just put every single thing people want and then say, let's find some problem that can solve it here, right? So now coming back to the, you know, thing. So I'll apply this, by the way, uh, to why I applied that, right? The second part of the puzzle is why now? Despite what you may hear, the number one predictor of success of an entrepreneur is timing. People talk about, Oh, it's the idea. People talk about the execution. People talk about the team. And yes, yes, they all matter. But the number one predictor of success is timing. How do you get the right timing? And it's not luck. It's a very simple method, a method that I use. Ask yourself, what had changed in the last one to two years? But more importantly, what do you expect to happen in the next three to five years that will allow you to solve the problem at scale in the next three to five years. And this problem could not have been solved five years ago. That's simple, right? That means, are you actually intercepting tomorrow's technology to solve tomorrow's problem? Or are you actually using yesterday's technology to solve tomorrow's problem, right? And now in this framework, the second part of the puzzle is you actually ask yourself, to solve the problem that I'm trying to solve, which is a, you know, one billion people uh, problem. What are the sub problems that have to be solved for my big problem to be solved, right? And I'll give you an example, right? For example, you say, hey, I want to live on Venus. Don't ask me why. That is a problem I need to solve. The people need to be live on Venus. You don't say, oh, that will never happen. You simply say, what are the problems that have to be solved? Well. You have to be able to leave Earth orbit. Got it. You have to go from Earth orbit to Venus. Got it. You have to be able to land on Venus. Got it. You have to be able to live on Venus. Got it. There are four problems, right? And let's go step by step how to solve them, right? But that's really the framework you use so you never get caught up on how to do it. You simply focus on what needs to be done. And then you see what is the things that you're going to be doing. The last part is the most important part, which is why me? And why me is what questions I am asking that are different from what everyone else in the industry is asking. Because the questions you ask is the problems you solve, right? So just by changing the question, it allows you to look at the problem very, very differently. So coming back to say, for example, living on Venus. If someone were to say, hey, how are you going to live on Venus? How are you going to grow the food for us to live there? When you ask the question, how are you going to grow the food? There's only one way to solve it is find a way to grow the food. When you ask yourself slightly different question, which is, why do we eat food? By simply asking, why do we eat food? It says, oh, the reason we eat food is because we need energy and we need nutrition. What are the different ways can you get energy? 
What are the different ways can you get nutrition? And suddenly you have 10 different ways of solving the problem than simply growing the food. And that changes the perspective of how you look at the problem. And what is most interesting about this, Alejandro, is people who are expert in the field tend to never be disruptive. The experts, the once you become an expert at something, you become incrementalist or you become useless in my book. When you are a non-expert, you are able to challenge the foundation of what every expert has taken it for granted. And that's how you're able to rethink and recreate the foundation of the things that people have never solved before, right? So your biggest liability that I know nothing about it becomes your biggest asset. Does it make sense? So now we got, let's say now we got the $100 billion company. Okay, or the 100 billion idea of a company that we want to build. Now, the next thing, and you've been alluding to it, is people. So how do you go about finding the right match when it comes to the co-founder? And then also, how do you go about getting the first employees that are going to help you in establishing the culture for the company? Great question. So remember, when you are looking for a friend, you want who is someone who is just like you. You want to hang out with them. You want to do, you want to go out and do things because you want to look for someone who is just like you, who enjoys the same thing, who thinks they your way, and you have a great time together. When you're looking for a co-founder, you want someone who is absolutely unlike you, someone who compliments you. So you are that visionary who is constantly looking for the idea and you want someone who is an operation guy who said, dude, I don't know why you're cutting those trees, but I'll keep building the road behind it. And I hope we lead to the right path, right? And that's the kind of things you want. You want complementary skills you want, right? Now, other thing is, when you are finding someone as a co-partner, you're creating this culture. You have the people who join you, they believe in you. People who join you because they believe in your idea. Your job is to take the loyalty to you and move that to the cause. That means we are in it together to solve this problem. It's not about me. It's about the problem we have set out to solve. And that's how you're no longer a cult leader. You're simply an entrepreneur. One day you may be, but the cause will go on. And that's really the idea is to find a problem, find people who associate with the problem, find complementary group of people who can work together and then go out and send them on a mission and lead that mission by example. Go out there and be the first person to be out there saying, here is what we're going to do, not sitting behind. Go charge up the tree. But sir, there is a bullet coming down the path. Oh, Come back and start again. You can't do that. So, so okay. So now let's say we got the co-founder, we got the team. You know that is going on an expedition, and you are now rallying everyone in order to dance the same song with the same moves towards getting to product market fit. How does getting to product market fit, which is validation before you really think about raising money, scale? How do you get to that product market fit? Very, very simple. You start, remember, we say, what problem are you trying to solve? So when you go out and say, here is a solution, you go out to the people who have that problem and say, does that solve your problem, right? Someone says, I have a headache. And you give them a vitamin. And they say, does your solve your problem? They say, no, it doesn't solve my problem. Well, 
That's not a product market fit. What they're looking for is an aspirin, right? So you need to say, do you have an aspirin or are you still trying to sell them, sell them a supplement? Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So, so then in that case, you know, let's say now we got, we got the team, we got product market fit, you know, we got, we got things, you know, moving in the right, in the right direction. At this point, you start thinking about perhaps scale. And I think that, you know, as we are expanding on people, we're thinking about raising money too, because you need capital and not, not just the capital, but more importantly, the network that is giving you the capital. So how do you think about getting the right people for the right reasons to, to push things behind you? First of all, the capital is not patriotic. Capital flows where the opportunities are. So very interesting is people somehow feel the people who have money have the power, and your job is to somehow convince them to part with their money. Remember, they only make money when they invest. They are looking for things to invest in. What is your job? Your job to let them know, you, you to let them know, that what you have is so awesome that everyone else wants it, including them. And what you have is so valuable that they are fortunate to be part of it. And the way you do that is essentially talk about this is billion people. Here is the problem. Here is my solutions. Here's where I am. Here's what I'm going to get there. And show them step by step how you're going to get there, right? And now, maybe it's a great time for me to actually, uh, what I would say, ground it. Because we have been talking about abstract, and I want to ground it, right? So I started this company called Viome seven years ago. My first question was, why, you know, why this? What was this? This was, what if we can understand what causes people to have an onset and a progression of non-infectious diseases? That means... Why do people develop diabetes? Why do people have depression? Why do people have heart disease? Why do people have cancer? Why do people have Alzheimer's? Why do people have all of these chronic diseases? And what if we can find out 
what is happening in the body that's causing it. Because if we knew what was causing it, we can prevent it, we can early diagnose it, and we can actually reverse it. If not reverse it, at least stop the progression of it, right? And that was a fundamental problem. We said, what if we could solve that? Would it help a billion people live a better life? And the answer was 8 billion, because every one of us is going to suffer through that problem. So why this was very clear. Now, the question came down to why now? And we said, look, to solve this problem, the three things have to happen. The cost, you have to digitize the human body. We are an analog body. If you have to digitize the human body, secondly, once you digitize, you're going to have massive amount of data to be able to process the data. And the third will be using AI to be able to understand what is going on. And we said, okay. The cost of digitization seven years ago was about $1,200 just to take one single sample and just digitize it, ACGT, right? Somehow take a sequence of things on a human body. And we said, wow, that's a very high. You cannot help a billion people if that's the cost. But we realized in the last two to three years, the cost has come down from $10,000 to $1,200. And we see it look, in the next three to five years, this thing will come down to $100. And here is why. All the things that are happening in the industry, this will cost will come down to $100. And the time to do is now. Guess what happened? Cost of that did not come to $100. It came down to $15. So while we were 10 times optimistic, turns out we were more like five times pessimistic. <laughs> That's the power of exponential technologies. The second thing was we realized that we don't have access to supercomputer to process this massive amount of data. We said, look, we could actually use cloud computing and just fire away many cores. And we did that on a cloud computing, cost us $42. We took a deep breath and said, that's a lot of money. But we realized it has come down to, you know, from $200 to $40. And we said, look, cost of computing is coming down. Cost of storage is coming down. The cost of this thing has to come down, down to $10. Here we sit today and it's down to buck fifty. It is really plummeting. And everyone realized seven years ago even that AI is going to be there that will allow you to solve the problem. So we said, let's go and do that. So that was why now. And the big thing was, why me? I am not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. Right? But being naive has an advantage. And I say, what are the questions people are asking today in the industry? And we realize every company is asking the same question, which is, I want to know about your DNA. I want to know about your genes. And it occurred to me with a simple high school biology that my genes don't change when I become diabetic. So you do my DNA test today and I gain 100 pounds so you can do my DNA test again. It's the same, same DNA. Now I become diabetic. Now I have a heart disease. Now I have depression. I have cancer and I die. And then you do my DNA again after I die. It's still the same DNA. We're looking at the DNA of Tutankhamun right now, right? Point is DNA can't even tell you you're dead or alive let alone you're healthy or sick. It occurred to us, people are asking the wrong question. They should be asking what genes are being expressed, not what genes you have. So we're going to look at RNA and not we're not going to look at DNA. That was the first problem. The second was 99% of all the genes in our body don't come from our mom and dad. They come from all these organisms that live in our gut, in our mouth. And we realize what if? This is the key to our uh, health. And then I start Googling them, right? And say depression and microbiome. 
Alzheimer and microbiome, Parkinson's and microbiome, cancer and microbiome, cancer therapy and microbiome. Turns out everything was connected. And then it occurred to us, everybody believes in the same thing. And the 10 companies doing microbiome testing, why is this problem not getting solved? Do you go back and say, what question are they asking? And it turns out, Alejandro, to date, they're all asking the same wrong question. They want to know what organisms are in your gut. And it occurred to us, what if these organisms are like human beings? You could have 10,000 different organisms producing the same thing that's making you sick. Or the same organism can produce something good in one environment and something toxic in another environment. Just like a human being. You take a person, put them in a good environment, good behavior, in a bad environment, bad behavior. And we, that was the simple genesis. We say, what if we can find out what these organisms are producing and how they are changing the human gene expression? If we can do that, we can solve the problem. I have no science background. Guess what? Now I went to every university, every lab trying to find a solution. And I found the technology at Los Alamos National Lab. I started this company seven years ago. First thing I did was hire the person who developed the technology at Los Alamos. Hired the person who actually was head of IBM Watson Research to do our AI. And this is what it does. You can today go to wyom.com and buy a test. We take a spit of your saliva touch of your stool, finger prick of your blood. And now we can tell you, Alejandro, what's your biological age? What is your cognitive health? What's your heart health? What's your gut health? What's your oral health? And then we tell you, hey, based on all the things we are seeing, don't eat broccoli and cabbage because your sulfide production is too high. It's causing inflammation. Don't eat spinach because you can't digest oxalate. If you're eating too much protein, take a digestive enzyme with that because we see a lot of ammonia production. By the way, don't take vitamin B3 or eat avocado because your uric acid production is too high. And then we literally tell you, here are the food you should eat and why. Here are the food you should avoid and why. Don't take these supplements and you only need 22 milligram of berberin every day. Take 27 milligram of uh, elderberry, take 89 milligrams of amylase, and we literally take all the vitamins you need, minerals, food extract, digestive enzyme, everything, make the powder, put them in the capsules, ship it to you every month. There is no pre-made stuff. We literally custom make it for you. And Alejandro, wonderful things happen. We now analyze over half a million people, 500,000 people. And guess what? We can not only show and we publish the paper that people who take our personalized supplements and take our food guidance, their depression level comes down by 47%. Their diabetes, HbA1c come down by 30%. Their level of anxiety down by 32%. Their IBS, clinical score, IBS, SSS comes down by 40%. Simply using food as a medicine. Now we are able to diagnose the stage one and pre-stage one cancer in your mouth or throat, simply with saliva, 95% specificity. And by the way, we received the FDA breakthrough device designation for it, right? So remember, what we set out to do to find what was causing a disease so we can prevent it, we can early diagnose it. Guess what? Every single thing we were going to say, we were going to do, we were able to do that. In between, now coming back to it, we started the company, we started to prove people that, hey, we can do RNA sequencing, we are able to license. 
as soon as we license the technology, we raise the money. Then we go. We went out and say we can only do the gut microbiome because we can't do everything at that time. We're going to just do the gut, gut microbiome testing with this tool, and we're going to be able to understand what is happening in your gut that will help us get to the next level of what is changing in the body. And as soon as we did that, that part, we raised the Series B. And then we said, look, now we can look at everything and we have people that can show that our now stuff is actually working. We raised the Series C. And now that we have the diagnostic test for cancer, we now we're building the channel for doctors and stuff. And now we're raising more money, right? So literally, we took a step at a time, made the progress, showed the progress, and told people, this is what we're going to do, and then we do it. This is what we're going to do, and we do it. And that's what builds the confidence in people. And how much capital have you guys raised to date for Biome? $170 million. Now, obviously, you know, that's a, a lot of millions that come with a lot of expectations too and, and, and vision. You know, vision is, is everything. So I guess, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Naveen, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Viome is fully realized. What does that world look like? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because that's actually what I tell every entrepreneur. If you can't visualize your vision, you don't have a vision. My vision of this world is very simple. Imagine your grandmother walking up the mountain and has, you know, without the walker. Imagine your loved ones who died from cancer didn't have to die. You could still be laughing with them. Imagine every one of your friends who is, you know, committed suicide because they are depressed. doesn't have to be that way. Everyone you know that is suffering from a pain and cannot enjoy their life. That can actually be that. That means until the last day of your life, you're living your life to the fullest. And that's the life we all want to live, is imagine living in a world where being sick is truly a matter of choices we make. I love that. Now, obviously, when, when you get those people in, when you get investors, and I'm sure that you know, a lot of people that are going to be listening, you know, they're either looking at raising money or they are going to be raising money soon. Money, as we talked in, earlier, it comes with expectations. And the people typically that are, that are going to be giving you the money, especially the ones that are leading the round of pricing that round, they're going to want a seat at the board. When it comes to board dynamics and having an effective board that is going to be guiding a, in a good way, right, the strategy so that then management can take it and, and, and work on the execution, what does, you know, an effective board of directors look like? Okay. So first of all, if your board of directors are not aligned with your vision and they don't believe in you, then you actually have a wrong board of directors. Board of directors should be there to support you, guide you, mentor you, but they're not there to tell you what to do. Because if you're looking to your board to, for them to tell you what to do, then you're the wrong CEO and all you have a wrong board. Because Board's job is to hire and fire the CEO. If they don't believe in you, they should fire you. They shouldn't be telling you what to do, right? So to me, their job is to guide you and say, hey, Naveen, have you thought about this? And you say, yes, I have thought about it. We are not going to do that. And here is why we are not going to do that. And that's what your job is to say. Look, if board thinks about your company once a quarter, maybe for a few hours a quarter, right? You spend 18 hours a day 
thinking about what you're doing. So how can you expect them to be telling you what to do? But they do have a perspective that you should listen. But listening doesn't mean following. Listening means taking that into account and then telling them why is it a good idea that you're going to be doing or why it's a really shitty idea why you're not going to be doing it. Now, in this case, you know, for you guys, you know, you've done several rounds and you were alluding to it. I mean, you've done the C, the A, the B, the C, all, all of the above. Now, now in this case, you know, like for you guys, you know, as the there's a few things here that that are interesting and that I find that founders listening are going to be encountering. Number one is you need to be uh, in constant, you know, just like the companies in hyper growth mode, you got to be in hyper growth mode to developing yourself so that the company is not outpacing you. Uh, and uh, and I find that that's that's a that's a that's kind of like tough uh, as um as an obstacle that you're gonna have to deal with. But then also the other one is going from being an early stage company to a growth stage company and how that transformation or how that transition looks like. Can you talk to us about those two obstacles? Yeah. So first of all, remember. You and your investors need to be aligned on the goals and the KPIs, right? So when your investors are saying, hey, you know, I think for the next one year, we want us to focus on um, on showing that our product actually works in the way that we expect it to work. And we don't want us to be doubling our revenue. And do you really believe that's the right path? And if you all believe that's the right path, then what do you do? You focus on building the science and building the efficacy and proving the efficacy rather than growing. If your investors are saying, look, our science is well understood, let's double the things. And you say, look, to double our revenue, here is what we would need. We need 25 million of marketing capital. We need to hire these 10 people who are going to be helping us marketing and sales, and here is what the resources we need. And once everyone is aligned, now it's your job to hire that team and execute. You never, ever fail. You never make a promise that you can't deliver. I'm a big believer, under-promise, over-deliver. You never over-promise and under-deliver. So I will never tell our investors we're going to do 100 million in revenue and do 99. I would tell them I would do 75 in revenue and do 99. Right. Always making sure that you never miss your target. Uh, now, of course, you know, shit happens and shit has a tendency to happen. And the best thing you can do is anytime something happens that's unexpected, make sure your investor and your board are first to know from you before they hear from someone else. The good news they can hear from someone else. You don't need to share every single time you get written up. They can read about that. But you never want them to be blindsided when there is a bad news. You want to be the first person to call them and say, I want you to know this. That's how you develop trust and respect, right? So you can say, look, this is unexpected. We did not expect to happen. And our revenue is going to not be 75 million. It's going to be 60 million, right? But then said, right, you told them and we made a new plan and there's going to be 60 and you hope you're still deliver 75. You know, there's one word that uh, really comes out, you know, as I hear you speaking here, and that is integrity, is being your word, is being able to deliver on your promise. And when you're not going to be able to achieve that, at least you're in communication about it, because that ultimately builds trust. So I really love that, Naveen. Now, there's one thing here as we are guiding 
you know, folks listening in this masterclass of uh, ideation, you know, product market fit, people, fundraising. Obviously, as we're thinking about this full cycle of building, scaling, and financing, there's one thing that we're missing here, and that is the exit, reaching the finish line, the promised land for all the people that, you know, pour their their heart and soul uh, into the company. So in your case, I mean, you've done several exits. Uh, I guess, talk to us about acquisitions. You know, at what point do you realize is because you talked about timing earlier. Talk to us about timing and what point do you realize it's time to, you know, look into getting to an exit? Yeah, I am probably, you know, I am in never a big believer in having an exit plan. And here's why. The minute you create an exit plan, you actually have, you know, restricted yourself to what you can do. So if you say, my goal is to be acquired by Pfizer, right? Guess what? You start to think like them. You start to act like them because you want to be them. And guess what? They have zero interest in acquiring you because you're like them, right? Your job is very simple. You constantly wake up in the morning and say, how many more lives can I improve? And I'm going to constantly go out there, earn the market share. I'm going to constantly go out there and kick people's ass. And there's going to be always someone, when you keep kicking their ass, is to say, what would it take for you to stop kicking my ass? And they'll pay you what it takes to be to stop kicking their ass. So your job is never to worry about acquisition. Your job is never to worry about an IPO. Here is what you should always remember. When you build a shitty company, there is only one outcome. When you build a great company, there are 10 different outcomes you can think of, right? So keep focus on building a great company and the right outcome will happen. It is when you start to think I need an exit is when you start to make mistakes. So then let's talk about, you know, the right outcome. Let's say, you know, you're building a super successful company and then all of a sudden you start to have suitors. How should people really navigate that a process? Because it's very, it's very tough. It's probably the biggest decision of their life, especially if it's their first time or they're a first-time founder. How should they should navigate those waters? It's very simple is that, you know, if you have suitors, just remember, it's like dating. Doesn't mean every single person you go out with, you sleep with them, you, you marry them, right? You should have a conversation with everyone. I mean, I'm a big believer. Anytime I talk to people, I go out to dinner with them, I listen everyone out. And I, you know, and point is at the end of the day, it's up to them to make you an offer that you can't refuse. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say, look, hey, let's go down. Let's, I, I'm interested. I'm not interested. You simply say, look, I am just so in love with what we are doing. I wake up in the morning at 4 a.m. I jump out of the bed. I am loving what I'm doing. Here is what we're going to do next year. And let's talk next year. <laughs> we go, year after, here's our plan for next year. Guess what? The more the more you think you're not for sale, the more everyone wants you. The more they think you want to sell them, the more the price goes down. So my job is to listen to everyone, get them as excited about my business as I am. Guess what? Someday they're going to make you an offer that you can't refuse and don't refuse it. And, you know, one thing that uh, that I would love to ask you here, you know, that just, just hit me is, I mean, you, you're right now in your seventh company. Uh, you've been through the ups, through the downs. And I think that you yourself, you've been able to mature too as a result of this experience as an entrepreneur. 
you know, what I, I find that there's been a lot of consciousness now, you know, uh, around uh, perhaps founders really taking care of themselves. And obviously, you know, with your company now with Viome, you're helping people to really take care of themselves. How have you found for yourself as a founder that balance between the hustling and then also taking care of yourself? Well, so first of all, remember, you can't take you can do anything unless you are healthy and taking care of yourself, right? When you are sick, you only have one wish, which is to be healthy. When you are healthy, you have many wishes. So to me, uh, taking care of yourself is always part of taking care of your company because you can't take care of your company unless you take care of yourself, right? Even on the airlines, put your mask first before you help someone else, right? So you got to put your mask first before you can help anyone, right? Now, having said that, people generally talk about this idea of work-life balance. And I think that's just a bad, bad way of looking at life. Because when you're trying to say that two things need to be balanced, you have already concluded that they cannot live together. Balance happens when they are opposite each other. One goes up, one goes down. To me, the life and work is a continuum. In that continuum, there are days there is more of one and there are days there is more of other. But there is never a balance. There is no such thing as balance. When you think you are balanced, you suck at both. Your home life tells you that you suck because you're not spending enough time and people are working. You suck because you don't have plenty enough time. So you suck at both. So there is no such thing as balance. <laughs> now, the main thing I would say will be, if, you know, as we get towards the end is that find something that you're willing to die for and then live for it. Find something that is your calling, that you wake up in the morning and you jump out of the bed wanting to do what you do the day you wake up and you still want to lie down for five more minutes in the bed you realize what you're doing you should quit that day that is not your calling when you find your calling you never lie in bed and by the way every single company for the last 30 years i jump out of the bed every day at 4 a.m and in every company i have done there comes a day where i just feel i want to lie down for five minutes and my wife always kicks me out of the bed and say, go do something else. I think you're done with this company now. <laughs> I love it. So, Naveen, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is, what is the best way for them to do so? Well, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me on Instagram. And Alejandro, uh, for your audience, I'm going to give them my personal email address. My first name, Naveen, last, dot, dot, last name at gmail.com. So naveen.jen at gmail.com. Send me an email. I read every email myself. So just go out there. Think so big that people think you're crazy and never be afraid to fail because you only fail when you give up. Everything else is just a pivot. And you will need to fail in order to succeed. I love that. Well, it's not failure. Your ideas may or may not work. And every idea that does not work is a stepping stone to a different idea or a different way of doing things. So you don't fail unless you give up. I love that. Well, Naveen, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Well, thank you, Alejandro. Looking forward to your next conversation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, 
you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.